All right. Good morning, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Uh, welcome to another uh, live feed. And uh, we're praying, and, and I know all the churches are, uh, we're praying that uh, this time of live feed is going to come to an end and that we'll be able to gather back together soon. We will, uh, as soon as we know, uh, we'll update you on uh, when that'll be and um, what Sunday that'll be. We don't know exactly yet, but uh, we will post it on our website, make it very uh, uh, clear when that's going to start. But I want to start out by uh, wishing the mothers a uh, happy Mother's Day today. And I know if you uh, have a mother that is uh, still alive, um, that's something to be thankful for. I know there are uh, many uh, that have lost their mothers and um, they no longer have them here. And uh, so Mother's Day can actually be a, a time that's difficult uh, for many. And so, but God is faithful and, and we also look forward to that day of a reunion, those times that we're going to uh, be uh, back in the presence of those uh, that have gone on before us. And so uh, anyway, let's, um, let's open up this morning in prayer and I'd like to pray for uh, the mothers. Father, we do come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this time to gather, uh, Lord, together as a church. And Lord, I, I think of the mothers, uh, Lord, that are represented this morning that are uh, listening in on this, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that you would bless them, Lord. Those uh, of us that are uh, thankful for the mothers that, uh, that you have put into our lives and, and also for the mothers that are taking care of our children, Lord. And we, we lift up uh, these mothers, Lord, and we, we want to just thank you for them all of their hard work, Lord, all their dedication uh, that they invest, Lord, into uh, that they've invested in us and that they invest into their children. And Lord, we, we just know, Lord, that it's only by your grace and your enabling grace that, uh, that many of these mothers, Lord, are able to uh, go from day to day, Lord, as much as they love their children, Lord, there's probably no uh, harder task and challenge than to be a mother. And Lord, for those of us that, um, Lord, we just need to, to bless our mothers today. And Lord, that we might be that uh, to them. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I uh, titled this morning's message, Deny take up and follow me. Uh, we're back in Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, looking at verses 34 to 38. So if you could turn in your Bibles there. I want to start by reminding us, if you were uh, in last week listening to the teaching, we saw how Jesus had uh, come into a, a city, a town, we might call it, and he healed a blind man. Uh, it was a different kind of a healing uh, than we'd ever seen before because it was, uh, we might say, a progressive healing. 
And I believe that there was purpose in that. Jesus had a purpose in all that he did. And in this particular time that he healed this blind man, I believe that he also was teaching his disciples a lesson in spiritual perception. You see, the blind man had a partial healing in the beginning by Jesus, and he was unable to see things clearly in the beginning. But then Jesus laid his hands upon him again, and we're told that he was able to see clearly. And I know that most of us uh, remember those years uh, before we knew Christ how we are unable to see clearly the truths of the gospel. We are unable to see clearly our need for Christ. And then it came to that point in our life that day, maybe we might say where the light bulb came on and, and God opened our eyes of understanding. He enabled us to see clearly our need for him. And we gave our lives to Christ. And, and so what a picture that Jesus was even able to portray in the healing of a blind man. We saw uh, that in this also that Jesus uh, was beginning to give his some revelations to his disciples. He was beginning to reveal some things about himself that they had never heard before. Uh, he wanted them to know and, and to soul search themselves and to be tested, it, we might say, with the question of who is Jesus? And remember that as they left uh, that, that town of Bethsaida on that day, that Jesus and the disciples and, and possibly a, another small group of people, maybe some people that were following after them, they made their way up to uh, this area of Caesarea Philippi. And it was there that Jesus would then begin to test the disciples' spiritual, uh, uh, their perception again. He would, uh, in a sense, he would ask them the question first of who do people say that I am, so that they might answer that. And then he brought it down to this most important question. Who do you say that I am? And that's the question that we might say is the most important question that any man or any woman could answer today. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is the Jesus of the Bible? A very important question to be answered and one that the disciples needed to have a strong conviction about. We know that Jesus also gave them another, another revelation about something that was still to come. He was going to reveal to his disciples about his suffering and his death. It says in verse 31 that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes. And then he says, and to be killed, and after three days, to rise again. He just gave them the gospel message in this revelation. He spoke uh, this word to them openly. He, he wanted them to have a, 
an understanding of what was going to come to pass. He needed to tell them early so they could think on this and digest it and, and, and think about what Jesus was saying. We see, though, in this particular time that Peter then took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him for his words. And Jesus had to then at that point rebuke Peter. Uh, he was basically saying, Peter, Satan is using you right now. Uh, he was not uh, doing anything uh, except that he was wanting to defend really what Jesus was saying about his death and what, and, and what would happen to him. And he was ready to defend, but Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Peter, for you, for the other disciples and everyone after, they, they need to know that these things must come to pass. We're going to see in, in uh, chapter 9, when we get there in verse 31, that Jesus was going to tell his disciples this again, which tells me that the disciples didn't really completely grasp it the first time he said it to them. And we know that reading on in the account that they wouldn't get it, even up to the very day of the crucifixion. We read in chapter 9, verse 31, for Jesus taught his disciples and he said to them, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. He told them again. And still, this was going to be an unfolding revelation for the disciples. It's in this context that we come to verses 34 to 38 this morning, where Jesus is going to give the demands of discipleship, the cost, we might say, of following him. After Jesus tells them that his course was going to be by way of rejection, it was going to be by the way of suffering and death, he then goes on to tell them tell his disciples and to tell the other people that were following Jesus on this day that it was going to cost them something if they were going to be a disciple of him. If they were going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there would be a, a price to pay for following after Jesus. The Son of Man, we know he came to die. The Son of Man, he came to, to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to fulfill the scriptures. This is what he wanted his disciples to understand, but he also wanted them to understand that in following him, there would also be a price that they would pay. Look at your Bibles. Let's read our text together, starting in verse 34. When Jesus had called the people to himself, this would have been the people possibly that were following after him as they were making their way up there to Caesarea Philippi. He called the people to himself with his disciples also. And Jesus said to them, whoever desires to come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. <clears throat> One of the words that stands out <clears throat> in these verses, in verse 34, verse 35, and also in verse 38, is the word whoever. That whoever was not just speaking of the crowd that was following Jesus. It wasn't just the disciples that were with Jesus. It's whoever. Whoever would hear these words, just like we're hearing this morning, these hard words or these hard sayings, we might say, of Jesus. But one of the first things that I see in, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 34, is that Jesus is not telling the people or his disciples to do anything that he himself did not do. Whoever desires to come after me, <clears throat> Let him deny himself and take up his cross. And then look what it says, and follow me. In other words, this is the course that I'm on. And what I'm asking you as disciples is that you would follow after me, that you would follow in my steps, that you would follow in my path. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we would follow in his steps, that we would learn from him, that we, that we would follow his ways, that we would follow his, <clears throat> his lead. You see, the life of a Christian was never intended to be a life of ease. It was never intended to be one of comfort. It was, uh, it never guaranteed health and wealth. As so many people uh, today and preachers today and teachers, they're, they're, they're teaching this health and wealth doctrine. Jesus never taught that. Nor did he tell his disciples that day that following after him would lead to those things. It would lead to the cross. It would lead to death. It would lead to a, a suffering. And there was a cost that was associated with following Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he wrote about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, uh, in verse 3. Uh, this is probably the, the best picture that we can have of Jesus coming into this world as a humble servant. Look what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there, in verse 3. Paul writes, 
let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But then look what it says in verse seven, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's what our Lord did when he came into this world. He, he came as a willing bondservant, a humble servant uh, in the likeness of men. He did that for us. He did that so that he would eventually go to the cross for our sin. And we go, it goes on to say, in being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. Uh, Jesus was telling his disciples on that day the demands of discipleship, what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He knew on that day and, and on many other occasions that the crowd, the multitude that were following him, that many of them were following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. It's the same way today. There are believers, there are Christians, and there are non-Christians, those that think they're Christians, that are following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. In John's gospel, we're, uh, remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, we read in John 6.26 that Jesus said this. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. It's the same reason and, 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 and why so many people follow Jesus today. They follow him for more for what they can get from him than what they can give to him or give to others. It's what can I get out of this? What's for me out of this? that people often, that's the reasoning for following Jesus. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. You see, walking and following Jesus is a life of denying self. It's a 
sacrificial living, that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who sacrificed it all, is what he calls us to do, to have a walk of sacrificial giving. It's a life that ultimately would lead Jesus to death. This humble servant that went to the cross on our behalf, it would take him to the cross. Jesus says that we're to pick up our cross and to follow him. We, today, 2,000 years later, are one of the whosoevers, whoever desires to follow after me. Uh, we're one of those whosoevers that we could say, this speaks to you and I today, not just to the disciples then, but it speaks to us today. It made me think uh, of how many Christians, maybe when they, uh, they got saved, how many people when they got saved, maybe they never were told by the person maybe that led them to Christ that the walk of the Christian is not an easy walk, that the path will not be an easy path to follow after Jesus that it will cost you something to be a Christian. How many of you had somebody actually lay it out to you now that you've given your life to Christ? Know this, it, it won't be an easy path all the time. It won't be an easy road to walk as a Christian. I think that people need to know that. Jesus is telling his disciples those words here of what it means to follow him. You see, Jesus doesn't just want part of us. He wants all of us. He wants every bit of our lives. He wants our heart. He wants every, uh, he wants our mind. He wants every, every part of us. And that will cost us something. We'll need to die to self to be able to follow this path of Jesus, to follow his steps. Looking ahead into chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, we read about the story where Jesus was approached by what is called the rich young ruler. That young man that came to Jesus and asked him and said, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And in a sense, Jesus gave some big demands upon this rich young ruler. He says, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus said to him. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And then the rich young ruler, in a sense, probably thought to himself, I've done that. He says to Jesus, teacher, all of these things I have done from my youth, I've done these things. But Jesus, we're told, looking at him, loved him. 
Uh, can you just get that picture? Jesus sees this man respond that way, and he looks at him, and we're told that he loved him. And he said to him, there's one thing that you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says this, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. This young man didn't even know him yet. He wasn't even saved. He wasn't even a Christian yet. And Jesus put this demand upon this man to sell what he had, to take up his cross, and to follow him. The cost to this young man was too great. He went away because he had great possessions. It was too much. And, and we know that there were other disciples when things got tough that were told that they walked with Jesus no more. They turned aside. They turned the other way and they said this path is too difficult. It's too hard to follow in the steps of Jesus. Some of us maybe have found ourselves at times faltering maybe finding it very difficult to, to try and keep pace with Jesus and the demands that we see in Scripture. As Christians, we all have been given different gifts. We've been given maybe different ministries to fulfill, but we're all called to walk like Jesus walked. And the same calling is upon each of our lives to walk as he walked, to walk the path of Jesus, to walk in the steps of Jesus. We read in 1 John 2, 6, that he who says that he abides in Jesus, the person that says that he abides or walks with Jesus ought himself also to walk as he walked. You see, that's really what our high calling is, is to walk like Jesus, to be like him, to die to self, to be humble, to be those servants, obedient servants that would serve him and serve one another. That's the life of a Christian. I want you to bear in mind that Jesus, by this chapter 8, uh, and, and going forward, this was uh, going to be uh, a turning point for the disciples. These were revelations that Jesus was revealing about himself to them. Jesus had not even yet gone to the cross. The cross was still ahead of him. Uh, he, he was still going to make his way when we get into chapter 10. Verse 1, we're going to see that Jesus is going to leave this region of Galilee and make his way towards the region of Judea, and it was ultimately going to lead him to the cross. It was going to be that time that he was going to have to pick up his cross and carry it there to the place of crucifixion, where they would crucify him on that cross. That's the life following Jesus that he's giving to his disciples here. Deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. 
So what does this kind of walk look like? What is the pathway of following Jesus look like for us as Christians? I believe that it's a life of self-denial. And it's not the self-denial that we see in, in asceticism, you know, uh, like those monks that kind of go off into hibernation to set themselves apart from the, the sinfulness of this world and, and, and just to, to, to separate themselves from people. And they, and they put upon themselves this strictness, this severity, and, and some of them just, they take the vow of celibacy, and they do it all in the name of religion, and it's, it's all a, just a religious thing. And, and Jesus never called us to separate ourselves from sinners, to separate ourselves from people. He, he, he wants to, he says, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And we're to be as Christians, and just like Jesus himself, he never kept himself from sinners. He actually went to the sinners. He walked in this world, just as we're called to walk in this world, but to not be of the world. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, that's the cost of discipleship. That's the cost of following Jesus. A servant is not greater than his master. Our master has gone before us. He walked the road to Calvary. He walked that place to pick up his cross and to go to the cross and to be put on that cross and to die for us that death. That's the cost of following Jesus. Jesus also calls us to deny self, to put aside selfish impulses, those things that drive our flesh, to not pursue personal comforts in life. If that's our pursuit in life, just to be comfortable, then following the path of Jesus will be very difficult for you. If you're on a pursuit of riches in life, of unholy ambition in life, that's not the path way of following Jesus. That's not the path of taking up your cross and following Jesus. You see, as Christians, we're to have a perspective that we are just pilgrims passing through. We're in this world, we're passing through this life, but we know that we have something better 
ahead. We have a future, something that uh, we have a home that is better than this home, a place that we are, are wanting to go to, you see? And, and that's the path that we're on. And on that pathway, it's, Jesus says, going to be a difficult path. It'll be a hard path at times to walk. What Jesus is saying to this crowd and his disciples on this day, if you are a disciple of mine and you desire to come after me, then, and you want to follow me, if you want to follow my steps, then you will need to deny yourself. You will need to take up your cross and then you can follow me. You see, by our very nature, by our humanness, I might say, we always want to protect ourselves first. We want to protect our interests. We want to, uh, we, we have self-preservation built right into us. Take care of ourselves first. You know, that just comes naturally to us. It's, it's, it's part of our very makeup as human beings. Uh, we want to meet our needs first. And then maybe if there's a little bit left over after I've met all of my needs and there's something left of myself, I might give it to others. But you see, that wasn't Jesus. That's not what he, he gave up everything first to others. He did the will of his father. He gave it up. He considered others above himself. He put others before him. And, and what an example that we have as Christians to follow, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The servant is not greater than the master. The first thing that Jesus said to his disciples and to the people is, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You see, self, I wrote, is an enemy of following a selfless Savior. Self is an enemy of following a selfless Savior. Our self will always get in the way of being able to lay down our lives for others. Living for self will keep you from giving your life up for others. Living for self is opposite of the example that Jesus left for us. Living a life in light of eternity should be the mindset that we all have. We're all uh, called to deny self and, and, and to follow and to walk like Jesus. And I, I was reading, and, and I believe it's a mindset that we take on as Christians. I believe it's, it's something that we take into a, a mindset. And, 
I was reading about a man, some of you have heard of this man in, in church history. He was a well-known saint. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German evangelical pastor who was born in 1906. And he was arrested and he was imprisoned at age 39. And on April 9th, 1945, he was executed by hanging in the Flossenburg concentration camp in Nazi Germany. Bonhoeffer was marched naked to the gallows where his last words were ones for all the ages to hear. This is the end, he said, for me, the beginning of life. That was a mindset that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had, that this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. You see, if we could only just set our minds that way, that giving up things is giving up even our life is really what is of greater value than the things that we try to hold on to in life. If we could just take on that mindset, if we could just live in light of eternity like that, what an impact it would have upon our walks. Bonhoeffer wrote a book in his life. It was called The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote this, and it's been quoted by many. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Again, it was his mindset. It was what he was convinced that a true disciple of Jesus Christ is called to do, to come and die. You know, we're not here to just to have an easy life. We're to live life in light of eternity. I was thinking about this and thinking, what image does much of the church portray to this world? What does Calvary Chapel portray to this world? What are we about as Christians? What are we about as a church? And I was thinking if, if we were to put on our main page, on our, on our website, if we were to put on that main page, come and die with us, I wonder how good of a response we would get from people. Come and die with us. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. It means to follow him, to die to self, to pick up our cross and then to follow him. And if we could take on that mindset that the life of a Christian is that, how much more would be accomplished for the kingdom of God? One of our church memory verses that I have brought before you many times is 1 John 3.16. Do you have that one memorized yet? 1 John 3.16. We 
know that John 3.16 is often quoted, but 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for one another. In that uh, incredible verse, it helps us to understand his love for us. But then it exhorts us that, that we ought also to lay down our life for one another. And there's probably no greater demand upon our Christian walk than to do that. But what does that look like to lay down your life for one another? I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a huge demand. And it means death to self. And it requires something on our part to do that. It, it, it requires a will that wants to, to submit itself to the will of God. And God, I, I don't feel the, wanting to do this, but God, you're calling me to do this or to do that. That means that we are submissive to the will of God and what God has upon our lives. Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. You see, that should be our mindset. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ and having an effect upon this world for Christ will mean surrendering ourselves to him completely. That, I believe, is the way that the gospel is going to get out to this world. The Great Commission, lives that are surrendered to the will of God that we might hear the voice of God, that we might respond to the leading of God's Holy Spirit, that we might take opportunities to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, that Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gave these instructions to his disciples, he told his disciples, you're salt. But he also told them that you're also light in this world. It's the calling upon their life. It's the calling upon our lives. We're to be salt and we're to be light in this world. We need to know that true discipleship, will cost us. It'll cost us, but it'll be worth it. It'll cost us maybe some of our possessions. It may cost us some friends. How many of you have lost friends and maybe even family because you gave your life to Christ? You see, these are the things that we see Jesus saying in the word of God of what it means to follow after him. 
And quite often in the church today, the church has reduced it down to things that are not quite so harsh, not quite, you know, so difficult as the words that Jesus gave. But I think that true discipleship is something that will ultimately cost us all something. It'll cost us our possessions, our friends, our family, our time, our energy in life. And yes, even our life. There are many Christians, many saints throughout church history that have given their life up completely, even their physical life for the cause of Christ. These are disciples that counted the cost and they they did whatever it took and it even cost them their lives and we get awed and we get challenged when we read the testimonies of the men and women that have given it up for Christ but it's encouraging it 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 it, it says if it, lord if you can do that in them you can do that in me We also need to identify with the cross. We need to identify with Jesus' death on the cross. You see, it's all about identifying with him. He's the only one that could go to the cross and pay the penalty for man's sin. But what a picture it is to identify our lives with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to identify with the sufferings of Christ, like the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul likened discipleship to losses and to gains in life. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, listen to this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means i may attain to the resurrection from the dead what a mindset paul took on this was how paul thought this is how paul believed this is how paul uh, walked his walk and he he wanted to 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 know him and the power of his resurrection he wanted to know the fellowship of his suffering. You see, Paul was all in. And, and everything about his life was to follow Christ with a whole heart, everything within him. And, and it should be these words that should drive us. As we read them, it should stir our hearts. The second thing that Jesus said was, Take up your cross. Notice it's our cross. And each one of us have our own cross. 
take up your cross. You see, the cross was an instrument of torture. The cross was used for suffering and pain. With Jesus, it was the place that he was going to display to the world his love and his forgiveness for mankind. But it was a place of suffering. It was a place of pain. And when we ourselves, when we refuse to identify with the cross, what the cross meant to our Lord, Jesus told his disciples, he told that crowd on that day to pick up your cross and follow me. That, that's what Jesus demanded of his disciples. Denying self is the way of the cross. Denying self is the way of the cross. When a person picks up their cross and they begin to, to, to take those steps towards that place of execution, when they begin to take those steps towards death, uh, when, when they come to that place where they know that giving up their life is going to cost them something that is going to lead to uh, things that quite often might keep us from wanting to go that course, to, to, to stay on that path. I, I think that we all have found ourselves in time shrinking back from the things that would make us uncomfortable to do for the cause of Christ. But Paul, at the end of his life, at the end of his journey, his race, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That was the mindset. That was the final words, we might say, of the Apostle Paul before he was beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. Are Christians called to suffer? Are Christians called to, to walk a, a, a course and a path that is difficult, of self-denial? I believe that we are. Taking up our cross daily is a, is a life of surrender. It's death to self. It's my desire to be transformed to be like him. And just that dying to self is painful, isn't it? Have you felt the pains of growing as a Christian? To dying to self? And what the Lord is calling us to do? To die to self? At times, 
I believe, our picking up of the cross and following after Jesus will lead to a path of insults. It'll lead to a path of, of even mockery. How many of you have been mocked for your faith? How many of you have had people laugh at your faith and, and laugh at your gospel and not want to, to, to hear what you have to say? You see, walking this course as a Christian, getting to the point where you will want to share the gospel with somebody that, that may not even want to hear is a cost to you. It's a cost to your pride. It's a cost to yourself. It's a, it's a willingness to give up of yourself, even to those who would make a mockery of you. Jesus knew that very well. The apostles came to know that and would come to know that very well. The apostle Paul, he knew that very well. Jesus then said, after picking up your cross, now follow me. Now follow in my steps. He told the crowd, he told the disciples that day, deny, take up, and follow me. He goes on in verse 35, and he tells the crowd, that was there, standing there that day. He tells the disciples that, he says, the desire to save your life is something that we need to reject. The desire to save your life. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The things we do for Jesus and the sake of the gospel are things that we will never lose. That's what we need to remember. You will never lose anything that you do for Christ or for the gospel. Those are lasting into eternity. The things we often keep hold up, the things that seem the most important to us, are often the things that will end in loss. We'll lose those things. Those things will become corrupt. They won't last. They won't go into eternity. Jesus is wanting these disciples to learn the value of not trying to save your life, but to give your life up for the things of Christ, for the gospel's sake. Jesus says we can truly find life by losing our life. That's where real life is found. In losing our life for Jesus Christ, for the gospel, for others, that's when we begin to find real life, true life. We read and we often get encouraged by the many women that have 
given their lives up completely for Christ, for the cause of Christ. We read about it in, in these uh, autobiographies and we read about it in, the, in the, the voice of the martyrs and the various groups that speak about the Christians that are martyred for their faith and we get challenged and encouraged by them. But these are people that counted the cost. And in counting the cost, it cost them their life. But then we sit back and we get encouraged by it. We get exhorted by them to do the same. And it should have that effect upon us. Jesus went on in verse 36 to give them a warning. Look what it says. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What a warning. Uh, there have been many people throughout history. It, it's sad to say, but there have been many people who have been given that test and failed. Uh, it, it, they, they sought the profit that they could gain here. The things of this world and the things of this life they saw as being more valuable than the things ahead of eternity. There are people in the world today and people that have gone on who had a standard of success. Uh, they, they, they sought success in life. Uh, you might say they, they achieved success and then they became one of those people that we would say they had it all. They had it all. But many of those people, as we examine their lives, as we look at them, we know that many of those lives have come to loss. They've come to nothing. Their, their lives ended up not being of much worth. Some of them even taking their own lives. But they had it all. And Jesus is wanting to warn that what would it profit a man if you were to have it all, if you were to gain the whole world, lose your own soul. We know that these people that attach so much importance to and desire to fame and to fortune and to possessions and to, and to ease of all the things that, that life can give. That's what they wanted. And in a sense, they were willing to sell their soul to have those things. They won't follow Christ because it means giving up the things of this life. The things that they hold so dear to their to their own hearts and their own desires in life. I started thinking about maybe somebody in history that we might look at that would was a sad commentary of somebody that sought that. I thought of a man by the name of Howard Hughes. Some of you maybe have heard of him. 
He was born December 24th, 1905. And he died April 5th, 1976. He had a net worth at the time of his death of $1.5 billion, which was an equivalent of today's dollars of $6.74 billion that Howard Hughes was worth. He was the owner of Hughes Aircraft Company and Howard Hughes Medical Institute. He was a very wealthy man. He was a man that we would have said he had it all. And many people would say that. But at the time of his death, he became a recluse and, and, and didn't even take care. And he, and he was uh, using drugs at the time. And it was said of him that when he died, that he was unrecognizable at his death. His hair, his beard, his fingernails and toenails were long. He was unrecognizable at his death. At six foot four inches, he weighed a mere 90 pounds at his death. This is a billionaire who had it all. Upon examining him, after his death, they found out that he was uh, had malnutrition, that he had bed sores all over his body. And the x-rays revealed that he had five broken off hypodermic needles in the flesh of his arm. Here's a billionaire that had it all by the world standards, but he lost it all. He really had nothing. And you see, Jesus gives us a whole different dynamic for life. If we'll follow after him, if we'll deny self, if we'll pick up the cross and follow him and, and make that the priority, make that the reason for living, it'll lead to that we'll really have eternal value, something that'll go on forever. The question this crowd and the disciples had to answer on that day is, what things do you value the most in life? What are the things that, that drive you and I each and every day? Uh, what things are attached to our life that we have a hard time letting go of? And, 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 and so these are, these are questions that we, as Christians, we need to ask ourselves. What is it that keeps me from denying self and picking up my cross and following really in the footsteps of Jesus? It's been said that a man may sacrifice the lasting things for the cheap things. He may sacrifice the lasting things for the cheap things. But here's the problem with the cheap things. The cheap things never last. The things that are of value in life are the things that are going to be done for Christ. 
And so we all have to ask ourselves that, that searching question. What are we calling the most valuable things in life to us? What are the things that drive us as Christians? What's the most important thing to me? Jesus said, also in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, just think on that day. It, it, we're not going to be able to drag any of the things of this life, the things that are not of God, into heaven. We won't be taking any of it with us. And the only thing that's going to be in heaven when we get there are all of the, the works and all the things that we did that were acceptable in the eyes of God that God would reward you for. And some of us might have a very small pile, we might say. Some of us might have a larger pile than others. It all has to do with what's of value to us in this life. What, what is going to be uh, of value to us in eternity is going to be those things that are value to Christ here in this life. If we were to take this study this morning and put it down into seven things for us to ponder for this week that God might bring to our our mind to think about this study even this morning. We might write down whoever desires. We might write down deny himself. We might write down take up. We might write down follow me. We might write down, save his life or lose it. We might write down gains and losses. And lastly, ashamed of me. Those seven things are the things that I drew out of those verses that I need to think about, that I think that we all need to think about. We close in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. That day is coming. We have one life to live. It's here and now. And then eternity comes. And what we do for Christ now is what's going to last 
all the things that we don't do for Christ, the things that we, we seek to, to make us happy and they're really not fulfilling, but we seek those things that are not going to last. Those things are going to be but loss. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to this world. And you know what, if each of us would take that responsibility to heart and begin to open our mouth for Christ. And, and I believe that there's a lot of people hungry and to want to hear. Lord, would you give us opportunity this week to open our mouth for you? That I believe that God will bring those people into your path. Those ordained opportunities to open your mouth for him. We know that being ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul, he knew that that gospel message was enough to save a person's soul, to free them from sin and from death. And he wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't ashamed to proclaim it. He didn't shrink back from telling somebody about it. He knew that it was the remedy for sin and death. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Don't be ashamed if somebody doesn't like who you are because you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed if somebody says something against you for some stance that you make for Christ because you share the gospel with them. Don't be ashamed. Rejoice in it. God just used you. In 1 John 2.28, we read, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I want to be able to stand before the Lord on that day and not be ashamed of where my life was, where it came from, what, my walk, my journey with Christ, that I would not be ashamed on that day. Lord, I lift up your church. I lift up this church, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Lord, and I pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit upon us this morning, that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, that you would use us, Lord, this coming week. Lord, we want to be used of you. Lord, we want to be bold for you. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to do that. Lord, would you forgive us for hanging on to those things that have no eternal value? God, would you humble us even this morning? Would you teach us this morning uh, even more than what we took in uh, this morning? Would you teach us? throughout this week of what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, 
and to follow after you. Would you give us a new meaning to that in our personal walk this week? And Lord, that we would glorify you, that we wouldn't be ashamed at your coming. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.